Folks, have you checked out the Irish History Podcast shop recently? Right now, I have a sale of 30% off everything when you use the code SALE30. So go to irishhistorypodcast.ie forward slash shop and get 30% off everything when you use the discount code SALE30. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once, it's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com The Irish History Podcast is supported exclusively through the generous contributions of listeners like yourself. You can help get the show out more frequently in 2016 by donating at irishhistorypodcast.ie. That's irishhistorypodcast.ie. Hi folks, you're listening to what is the final part of the Irish History Podcast 2015 Christmas Special. This part, I guess, is my Christmas gift to you. Two years ago, I released a book on medieval life in Ireland. It's never been released on audio. However, for this Christmas show, I have exclusively recorded one chapter, which is the closest I could find to one with a festive theme. The book looks at differing aspects of medieval life, but this one is titled Grubs Up, Food in Medieval Ireland. It will give you some sense of the range of foods on offer if you are shopping for a Christmas dinner in medieval Ireland. During the summers of plenty, late medieval Ireland was a land abundant with food. In good years, fields swayed with great crops of wheat, oats, corn and barley. Shepherds tended to large flocks and herds of animals, which were reared from meat and dairy products. The sheer size of these animal herds alone was staggering. In 1290, 51,000 cattle hides were exported from Irish ports. Milk from both cows and sheep were converted into cheese and butter, while rabbits, swans, peacocks and hens were also commonly reared for the dinner table. A wild variety of vegetables were grown including onions, garlic, leek and kale. While the countryside supplied many staples of the medieval diet, an even wider variety of foods were available for purchase in urban markets. The numerous coastal ports attracted fishermen who brought ashore large stocks of fish, Salmon and eel were particularly popular. When not consumed immediately, fish was preserved through salting so it could be exported. While pigs were common in the countryside, they were also a feature of everyday life in towns and cities. Indeed, they were a constant nuisance in urban environments and their owners were subject to laws to keep them under control. Once slaughtered, these pigs were eaten as pork or salted as bacon. It was at the docks of port towns that some of the most unusual foods arrived in Ireland. Far from the banal diet we might expect, delicacies were imported in large quantities. Wine and salt arrived from western France. Rice grown in the Mediterranean was eaten in Dublin. 
frequently flavoured with almond milk. There were also even more exotic goods. Ginger, pepper, cinnamon and cloves were imported from Asia and available in 14th century Ireland. While the food markets of medieval Dublin could whet even the modern appetite, most people who lived in the city never experienced the more exotic and tasty foods. A person's access to wealth and their status in medieval society determined their diet. The sharp contrast in the differing foods various social classes ate can be seen when we look at the diet of two contemporaries from the period. The first is Gilbert de Bullignop, a member of the elite of medieval society in Ireland. Gilbert was the prior of one of the richest religious foundations in Dublin, the Priory of the Holy Trinity between 1337 and 1343. The Priory of the Holy Trinity is better known today as Christ Church. As prior, Gilbert was one of the most important figures in medieval Ireland. He frequently attended and on occasion hosted meetings of the medieval Irish Parliament. He also had access to great wealth as he ruled over one of the oldest religious institutions in Dublin. At the other end of the medieval spectrum was a man called Robert Le Driver. Robert lived on the Prior's lands at Grange Gorman, which was situated just outside Oxmantown, the northern suburb of medieval Dublin. Robert worked as a driver of a plough team, his name Driver derived from his work. His meagre annual salary came to 60 pence, which in 1343 was supplemented by an extra fourpence. His greatest single outlay was rent for the cottage he held from the Priory, which cost him 12 pence a year. While Robert was by no means the poorest in medieval Dublin, he nonetheless lived in an entirely different world to Prior Gilbert. This contrast was starkly obvious in what they ate. Prior Gilbert could afford to eat whatever foods took his fancy and the delicacies of Dublin's food markets were at his disposal. From surviving Priory accounts, we know that on a Thursday in Lent 1338, Gilbert was joined by Hugh de Saltu, a canon from the nearby St. Patrick's Cathedral. As it was Lent, the ecclesiastics could not eat meat, but nonetheless they enjoyed a sumptuous meal that included bread, wine, ale, herrings, turbot, plaice and trout, all of which cost over 25 pence. For dessert, they supped on rice in almond milk. The rice and almonds cost a further fourpence. This one meal alone cost nearly half of Robert Le Driver's annual salary. Spending fourpence on rice and almonds was a luxury, but this was by no means the only extravagance the prior enjoyed. He also ate foods flavoured by ginger and saffron and also olive oil. On another occasion, he dined on imported figs. When not constrained by Lenten prohibition, the prior enjoyed fine meals of meat. In early 1338, on the feast of St. Agnes the Virgin, he ate with the proctors John Welsh and Walter Brehenoch. They enjoyed a meal of two cooked capons, which are roosters castrated when young, a mutilation that produces succulent meat. These were accompanied by other assorted roast meats, which all cost 11 pence. On other occasions, he enjoyed pasties, pies, roast fowl and salted eels. This diet was by no means limited to just one lavish prior. Similar accounts are recorded in the satirical poem The Land of Cocaine, written in the 14th century, most likely by an anonymous Franciscan. The author attacked the lavishness of a neighbouring religious house of the wealthy Cistercian order. In the satire he mentions numerous dishes enjoyed by the Cistercians, which included larks cooked in cinnamon and cloves and geese cooked in garlic. 
While such meals are mouth-watering, to say the least, the majority of the population of medieval Dublin could never afford such gastronomic delights. However, before we look at what the poor ate, I want to take a quick break. As I mentioned in the last episode, this podcast only works through the support of listeners like you. Over the last few years, your contributions at irishhistorypodcast.ie have kept the show on the road and allowed it to grow. The process of getting each podcast to you requires considerable costs. Aside from hosting fees, each show, be it about the Middle Ages or the modern era, takes a few weeks or in some cases a month to research alone. I think though it's worth spending the time and effort to get it done right. Producing these shows though is only possible with the support of listeners like you. So if you want to get behind the show in 2016 and expand the project, which will ensure you continue to receive content, please contribute and help make the show even better. Donating is really simple. Go to irishhistorypodcast.ie and click donate. I really appreciate whatever you can give. It all makes a difference. Robert Le Driver, the poor ploughman who lived on Prior Gilbert's lands, could afford very little of the food that the Prior ate. Indeed, of the delightful fish dinner the Prior hosted during Lent 1338, the onions used to flavour the food was probably the only item on the menu Robert could have afforded. Onions were relatively cheap at two pence for a half stone. This was due to the fact that they could be easily grown in the surrounding countryside or even in the city gardens. Robert and those like him, the poor of medieval society, lived primarily on a diet of a stew-like substance called pottage, eaten with bread. Pottage was in essence a vegetable stew made with peas, beans, onions, leeks and kale and then flavoured with herbs. The staple of later Irish peasants, the potato, would not be introduced for centuries well after the European conquest of the Americas had begun in 1492. Living on pottage, medieval peasants were in effect vegetarians most of the time. This was not by choice. Meat was generally far too expensive. Alongside pottage, the poor would have eaten bread. But even with this, the most simple of foods, the rich and poor dined differently. People like Robert could have rarely afforded bread made from wheat, but instead ate cheaper breads made from corn and rye. Such bread, baked from poorly sieved flour, had serious long-term health ramifications for the poor. The bread frequently contained grit from millstones as it was poorly sieved. Chewing this grit-laden bread had a detrimental impact on teeth and indeed wider health. The skulls of human remains found in excavations from 13th and 14th century Dublin revealed extremely worn teeth to such an extent that the dental pulp had been exposed. This would have resulted in excruciatingly painful infections and abscesses. Such afflictions would have affected the elite to a much lesser degree. They enjoyed a far better quality bread. On occasion, Prior Gilbert ate pandaman a very expensive bread made from wheat that had been sieved several times. While Robert's diet paled in contrast to what Prior Gilbert enjoyed, there were those in a worse position. In order to make even the most basic of meals like pottage, a person required a home with a hearth, implements to cook and a large pot. Many, however, did not even possess these basics. According to Alexander de Bicknor, the Archbishop of Dublin, who reigned between 1317 and 1349, the city 
and its suburbs were infested by stragglers and beggars. Such people were dependent on pre-cooked foods like bread, pies and ale. In medieval towns, takeaway food of this kind could be dangerous. Judging on contemporary accounts from medieval London, the urban poor, who purchased cooked food that was sold in the streets, frequently risked their lives in doing so. The food appears to have been of a very poor quality. The great poet of the age, Geoffrey Chaucer, described a pie shop in his work The Canterbury Tales as fly-infested and the source of reheated, soggy pies. In the other great epic of the era, The Vision of Piers Plowman, William Langland relates how brewers, bakers, butchers and cooks frequently poisoned the poor of London through bad produce. It would appear the same problem prevailed in Ireland. In Kilkenny, laws and ordinances that date from the later 14th century specifically mention a punishment for cooks who boil meat or fish in bread or water in any other way not fit for human consumption. The mention of cooking meat in bread is presumably a reference to pies. There is also a reference to those who sell foods after they lose their nature and reheat them and sell them. Similarly, in the laws and usages of Dublin, a law code which date from the early 14th century, regulations were introduced by which bakers could be fined for producing what was called faulty bread. Punishments against brewers who made poor quality ale were also common. In Kilkenny, for example, they faced a 15 pence fine for making inferior ale. No matter what risk medieval brewers posed to their clients, it was a far safer option than drinking water from the public water sources in the city. In 1337, in Kilkenny, a law was enacted punishing people for washing their clothes or animal intestines in public fountains, while in Dublin, the city cesspits polluted many of the water wells. Cesspits were in effect a cross between a toilet and a rubbish bin. It's clear food in the medieval era was as highly segregated as society itself. People like Robert Le Driver or the stragglers and beggars of medieval Dublin had as much chance of eating most of the foodstuffs to be found on Prior Gilbert's table as they did of sitting at that table. They were consigned to eating what was available to them. Some, like Robert, could live relatively healthy lives on pottage as long as there were not food shortages. Those at the very bottom of society ran a gauntlet every day by risking the cooked food on medieval city streets. There's where I'm going to leave the show for this year, folks. As I said, you can help build the show in the coming year for 2016 by contributing at irishhistorypodcast.ie. I hope you and yours enjoy Christmas whatever way you celebrate it. In early 2016, I will be back with the next instalment of the Castlecomer Coalfield series. Until 2016, Slán. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.